Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. Alrighty, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come together tonight and fellowship and, and be able to take a break from our week, study your word study spiritual warfare, but also look at current events and what's happening prophetically. So bless our time tonight, be, be with us, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's start then where we left off, and I think last week we talked about um, Satan wars with the saints, he accuses believers, so we, we did that, and I think we're at the point where Satan plants doubts in the mind of believers, and uh, the quintessential uh, example will be, uh, obviously, Genesis 3.15 for this, and we'll build off of that, and I'll apply it. So, if you go, yes, somebody asked me a question? Oh, no, okay. Um, so, we'll start in Genesis 3.15, we'll read it, and then I'll note the different things that Satan is doing to them, especially to Eve, uh, to make her doubt the Lord, okay? So... Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. So it's obvious that Satan's going to use um, this animal that has speaking abilities. Uh, and there's conjecture that some of the animals in the Garden of Eden had the ability to speak, um, much like a parrot does or something. But Satan is going to use the vocal cords of this animal, and the animal's name is Nakash. Uh, nakash. This is the name of the animal before it turns into a serpent, okay? The nakash. So it's either bipedal or quadrupedal. But anyway, it, it, somehow it has vocal cords and has the ability to speak. So Satan possesses this animal, and that's what fallen angels can do. They can actually, demons can possess animals. Remember, they possess the pigs uh, that D Jesus cast out of, uh, that was legion into the pigs. So Animals can be possessed, and you might say, I have an animal at home that might be possessed, and uh, I sometimes think about that when they're doing their business on my carpet. I said, what are you, crazy? Are you possessed? Did you, you know where the bathroom is. Um, anyway, um, animals can be possessed. So anyway, he possesses this animal in the Nakash, and he said to the woman through the Nakash, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, what's wrong with that question, that line of questioning? It's infusing doubt, and, but in what way? Notice what he says is that, has God indeed said, has God said this, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Well, obviously, it's, it's, a, it's a question that he already knows the answer. In fact, it's a false question because God hasn't denied them to eat of the trees of the garden except one. But he's saying, you can't, so am I hearing you right? You can't eat of any of the tree? And so what is that? Yes, he is twisting the word and it will get her to make a response of correction. Because she's going to have to correct this. So when you're in a situation of doubt, believe it or not, the first way of getting into that is something or someone or a situation will present itself and you will feel the need to correct it. But 
It's dependent on how well you know the word of God in your correction. Okay? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Problem? What's the problem? Yeah, everybody wants what they can't have. That's right. That's right. It never says don't. He never said it. Don't touch it. Don't eat of it. Um, lest you die. And I. I and it, there's. What she doesn't understand is that what God meant is spiritual death, that it will eventually kill her physically, but her spiritual death will start the moment she disobeys. And she's not even thinking in those terms. She's thinking of physical death, which is true, that's partly true, but the spiritual death occurs right after they sin. Right after they sin, and we know that because they realize they're naked, and they go and hide and run. Okay, but notice the correction She's right on some of the things, except that idea of, of dying and don't touch it. And so, this is interesting how the rabbis actually interpreted it. Um, they, 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 they come up with a story, and this is just a story, um, and again, it doesn't have to be true, but it's interesting how they portray this, is that um, when he says... Um, um, then the serpent said to the woman, you will sh- sure, not surely die. Um, and they say that what happened was, again, that's rabbinic conjecture, that the Nakash is standing here, the tree is right here, and Eve is right here. And the rabbis say that the Nakash, possessed by Satan, pushed her into the tree to where she touched it. But, okay, so, it, so if the rabbinic story is right, okay, again, this is all conjecture, but you can see how the rabbis would see this because he's going to take her to task on her mistranslation where she said, don't touch it, okay? So the rabbi said that to prove to Eve that you're not going to die by touching it, he bumps her into it. And lo and behold, she doesn't die physically, right? But that's not what the command was, right? But they say that Satan used that to say, see, you didn't die. So he's, he's using an additional thing that she added to prove to her you're not going to die and to instill doubt. Okay, why is that important? Because the minute you start adding or subtracting to Scripture in your correction, is where he's going to attack on the doubt. So if you're messed up, he's going to capitalize on the messed up part. Because look what he doesn't do. Satan doesn't go after what she states is true. He goes after what she states is f- that's false and takes advantage of her ignorance of the word, if that makes sense. okay. So doubt then comes to our ignorance 
That's where it's come, it comes from. That somehow we either have added or subtracted, um, whether we're ignorant or we want something to say something, and it doesn't say that. Okay? Go ahead. Hold on, good. We'll get the mic to you. Hold on. Uh, thanks for taking my question. The question I have is, was this said to Adam and Eve, or did God say this to Adam and he conveyed it to Eve? Yes, and that's the, the other dilemma. It was conveyed, it appears to, it was conveyed to only to Adam, and he was to give that word to Eve. So, you still can't blame God and you can't blame Adam because whatever was communicated, she adds to it. Because it says by uh, the Apostle Paul in uh, First Thess- sorry, First Timothy chapter two, that it says the woman was deceived and not Adam. So Adam knows. So we have we have um, good reason to believe Adam knows full well what's going on. He's actually watching the whole thing play out, but he's he's committing what we call the Adam syndrome. And the Adam syndrome is I don't want to be in charge. I don't want to have authority, and so I'm gonna let my wife deal with it. Very common. We call it the Adam syndrome and the Eve syndrome, right? And couples that get upside down pretty quick, they all catch that disease. Okay? <laughs> yes. So I was. You're, you're just married. Why, why are you not on your honeymoon? Why are you even here? You're um, supposed to be on your honeymoon. Okay. Congratulations. Stupid. Thank you. Stupid school. Yeah, right? Um. Well, I heard a talk or a pastor talking about this the other day, and they're talking about how because Eve was already tempted in her heart that she sinned before she actually even did the action. Ah, good point. So how does that work? And like, yeah. if they would, if she wouldn't have eaten it, she still sinned in her heart. Ah, uh, yes, but she hadn't transgressed. So what you have to keep in mind, uh, and I'm glad he even, you pointed that out. There's a difference between sinning and transgressing. Okay. So yes, they had sinned in their heart by wanting this and desiring this. And so um, actually she commits all three uh, sins of lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life before she transgresses. And it's when she partakes of the fruit that she transgresses. So you guys, it's important what he just said because there is a distinction between sin and a transgression. And Adam and Eve sinned before they even transgress the law. And so the transgression is just a, a product of what's going on already in their heart. But the penalty, follow me, the penalty doesn't come until they transgress. If that makes sense in this scenario, okay? Now, now why would I say that? Because um, it would be the same as a child um, before a child reaches the age of accountability, they sin, right? But their transgressions are not, he- sorry, there's not a transgression because they don't, know- if they're ignorant of God's law, then they are not aware of the transgression anyway. That's why we say that children and babies and uh, before they reach the age of accountability fall under the general atonement of the Messiah and go to heaven. They don't need to come to faith in that sense because they, they're not cognizant of actual, an actual transgression. In order to, to, to get put in a state where you're condemned to hell, you have to transgress a known law that you're aware of. 
Now, whatever that age is, that's up between God, between God and the individual, but you know, who knows what that age is. Maybe it's around nine, maybe it's around 10, maybe it's around 12, I don't know. But uh, at some point, the child then recognizes their sin, understands the condemnation in their heart, and then looks to God for, for salvation. Um, so in that sense, with Adam and Eve, yes, they have sinned, but they haven't transgressed. And so the penalty is on the transgression. And that's what God said. Um, does this begin the fall? Yes, of course it does. Because what, okay, so think about this. Sin is going to cause the fall. And sin caused Satan's fall before he actually acted out. Do you remember that? It says uh, in, um, I think it's Ezekiel 28, that sin was found in your heart, Lucifer, right? And then what did he do to act out? He, it, goes, it says that he went from angel to angel and traded, it uses the Hebrew word traded, basically he was going to every angel and saying, you know, we need to do a revolt against God. And he was trading. So it's the act of his trading that was the transgression, um, but sin had already started. And once sin conceives, it gives birth to death. So Adam and Eve were already dying the minute that sin had, had started in their heart, but they got kicked out and started to die once they transgressed. So there's a, a, there is a period of time. So good question. Does that make, that make sense? Okay, okay. So that's, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. I'm not sure if I missed something. You said Adam watched this take place? Yes, he did. If he was perfect before the fall, why didn't he intervene? Why Adam, uh, Eve was perfect. But you have to understand what kind of perfection they had. It's not a, it, the, the perfection they had was that, that they were made perfect, um, but it's an untested holiness. They're holy, but it's untested. Glorification is tested holiness. So they're untested. And so what, what all humans have to have, and even the angelic order has to have, is a test of whether they will stay in that condition or whether they will leave it. Right. He was sinning to allow her to deal with the serpent because he shouldn't have because he, he is her federal head. He is all of our federal heads. And he should have been dealing with the serpent rather than that's a sin on his part because it's, it's a denial of his authority. Now, how do I know Adam has authority? What indicates in Genesis 2 that Adam has authority? He names the animals, okay? So in the Hebrew culture, when you name somebody, that means you have authority. So a parent naming a child, that means the parent has authority. And that would go for Adam he, the Lord brought him all the animals and gave the authority to Adam to name them. That's not, that's not only his authority, that's how intelligent Adam was, okay? And so authority was passed to him. He has dominion. He is our first king. Therefore, in order to deal with the cherubim that, fall, that fell, Adam should take him on one-on-one. It's a classic case of a, uh, a knight taking on a dragon, you don't let the woman take on the dragon. The guy takes on the dragon. But he sits back and watches the whole thing play out. So in essence, Adam really failed him before Eve because he let the serpent into the garden. He was already failing before he even ate the fruit. They'd already sinned. They both had sinned before they even partake of the fruit. They then transgress 
after that point against a known law. So the fall is already starting to happen. Already started to happen inside of them. Let's get a, oh, back there and then we'll come up here. Where am I at? We, we had an online question. Okay. Oh, um, so it was from online. Um, how did Adam and Eve know what death was? Well, that's the thing. They, they, they don't have a full concept of what death is. They automatically think that it's a cessation of life. Okay. And we can tell by her, her, her feedback here in the text that she doesn't have a full grasp of what that entails, that it, it, it's not just physical death, it's spiritual death. And, and so they, to, to that question on, online, they don't have a full orb perspective. There's no doubt about it. They, uh, it, it. From what I can tell in the text, it hasn't been explained to them by God. He just says, don't do this or you will die. But he doesn't, he doesn't define what that is. So they just interpret it as physical. Again, how would they know what physical is? Because nothing's ever died in their presence. I don't know. I don't know, but maybe it's an, uh, intuitive. I, I, I don't know. Um, because they've never seen death. They don't know what le- that even looks like until God sacrifices an animal for them, right? So they don't even know. So, yes, they, they don't have a full perspective. Yeah, good question. Okay, where am I at? Hold on. Which? Whom, who's next? Paul, go ahead. Pastor, I was just... Uh... That mic's not working for some reason. Go ahead, Paul. Sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah, there we go. I said Satan's MO has it, stays the same as cults study, study us. We study them, and they try and find this is what they believe. Yeah. Let's use the word against them. They try and twist the word. Eve, you know, I was trying to think that Eve, tr- the true love of Adam, this is me, keep him from, she's messing up but we all have accountability on there and yeah. one person's thing that yeah well, that mic is going off and on for some reason i don't know let's go fix that ty sorry about that but I guys guess. you guys let's right. keep it questions okay keep it at questions so, uh where, where are we going chad so i don't want to sidetrack you on this brandon but if in the event that Adam wouldn't have transgressed, how would that have changed the order? If it would have just been Eve, but Adam wouldn't have sinned himself. Well, then, then you look at what he did to both of them, and only one of them would have been kicked out of the garden. Uh, one of them that would have been excluded. And God, again, this is theory. God would create another woman for Adam. Yes. I don't know. There's, you know. Again, this is theory. This is what we call Christian philosophy. He created another woman, so I don't know where Eve gets married or whatever, but she's okay. out. Okay. Back there. Go ahead. All right. If they knew, if Satan knew that he was going to do that to Adam and Eve, why would he do it if it was going to be a repercussion for him, knowing that? Oh, yeah. Good question. Um, well, Satan, you know, um, doesn't really believe that the repercussions will happen. Um, he thinks he can, he can thwart the plan, and, and that's why he does it. I mean, you're dealing with the level of Baghdad Bob, and uh, I always use that illustration. Remember Baghdad Bob? Um, we were taking Baghdad down, and the statues of Saddam Hussein were toppling. They were pulling it down, and Baghdad Bob is the reporter for, uh, um, I want to say the Babylon News. Um, no, Iraqi News. And he's reporting, 
And in, in the, remember this, he's saying, we have the Americans on the run. We are destroying the Americans. And behind him, the Americans are pulling down Saddam Hussein. You remember that? That's Baghdad Bob. And in a lot of ways, you think about that's how clueless that guy was, right? But it, it was, he was insanely clueless. Well, you got to understand, Satan has committed such grievous, grievous sin that he's down in, at the level of sin to where he, he's super intelligent, but he's insane at the same time, if that makes sense. Because the definition of sin, when you take it fully out, is insanity. And actually, the more you sin, the deeper you get, the more insane you become. That's the idea. Because people will say, well, you know, you know we, we can, as a counselor, I, you know, I can go down and say, okay, we're pinpointing this, we're pinpointing this, pinpointing this, and okay, these are contributing to your problems, and yada, yada, yada. But I can still keep drilling down past that, and you know what happens? None of it makes sense. And when you get that down into sin... People say, well, I don't understand why, why, why I would do this or why they would do it. Because it doesn't make sense. Sin is insanity at its core. It, 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 there's no explanation for it. And that's why sin is so evil, um, because it creates in us the ability to do insane things. So back to that question, why would, why would he even do it? Because he thinks he can usurp Adam and Eve, and he does. And then by usurping them, he gets ownership of the earth. And then he thinks he can thwart God's plan to bring in the Messiah. And he thinks he wins at the end. I mean, really, that's what he's thinking. Why does in the book of Revelation, he does another run on heaven? Because he thinks he can win. You know, and he's not all-knowing, but he just, he just it's, 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 it's a form of insanity, right? That you just think, I'm going to win, I'm going to win. And you're talking like in the sense of power, this is a bad analogy, but an ant trying to prevent us from walking over his, uh, his little uh, ant hole. And the ant's trying to push on us and stop, stop. By, and he's telling his friends, dude, I got this one. <laughs> right? And the ant's like, don't worry about it. Man. I'm the guy, we'll push him back. And, it, and it's you, you know, putting your boot down over him. And the ant thinks he really can win. That's how it is. Do not, you know, don't try to think that, oh, you know, he's, he is intelligent, but he's insanely intelligent. Does that make sense, kind of? It, it, it's insanity that he thinks he's going to beat an eternal being. God's an eternal being. You're not going to beat him. He has unlimited power. So anyway, uh, t- yes, where am I at? Okay, go ahead. Hey, Pastor, I have a... Uh... I might be a little off topic. I apologize for that. But were there two specific trees in the garden, a tree of life as well? Yeah, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, there's two of them. Yep. And the, if they would have passed, they would have continued to eat of the tree of life and it would have sustained them for all eternity. They would have remained in that state. Um, and that's why the tree of life is in now the New Jerusalem, currently speaking. It's, it's there. We will see the tree of life one day again. And it's actually a reward for people uh, who overcome misprioritizing Christ in their life. But it gives a life enhancement in the, uh, the kingdom to where you're... The only, the one I, uh, what I could say is it's a reward that gives you a better experience of eternity than other people. So we will see the tree of life one more time, uh, once again.
Where am I at? Go ahead. Okay, I have an online question from Timothy. And he says, with Adam and Eve's transgressions and fall, do we have solid evidence that they are forgiven and in heaven? Yes, we do. And immediately how we know this, <clears throat> you don't see the words, but you see the actions of God. And what did the actions of God prove? What did God do to cover their sins? He killed an animal, right? Okay, so he killed an animal to cover their sins and, and then he used the hide to, be, to clothe Adam and Eve. Now, it's a picture of salvation. It, um, and what would happen is Adam and Eve believed that the Messiah would come to take away their sins and, and rectify the whole situation, not only defeat Satan, but rectify them and reconcile them back to God in the ultimate sense. So, so God does that for them, which shows you that he restores fellowship with them, which indicates they're, they're, they trust in him, right? Okay? And, and what happens is Eve is told that the Messiah will come from her, right? Okay, so you jump into Genesis 4, and immediately after that, she says, um, I have conceived um, from the Lord, um, and... and in your English translation, it's wrong. It'll say, well, let me read it real quick. And I'll show you how the rabbis wanted to avoid this big time um, because of what the Hebrew says. And the Hebrew, it's, it's clear. So in Genesis 4, <clears throat> now Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And, and it's, it's, that's wrong translation. The actual translation is this. I, I have acquired man, Yahweh. She didn't say I have acquired a man from the Lord. It's not from the Lord. It's man, God. I have acquired man, God. And what is that pointing to? The God-man Messiah. She thinks, believe it or not, she's misinformed. She thinks Cain is the Messiah. And why would she not? She was told she's going to conceive, right, the seed. She didn't realize, again, this is all them not having all the information, right? And didn't know that that was going to be thousands of years uh, in the future, so what does she think? She hears the prophecy, and immediately it shows her faith. It shows her faith that she says, Cain's the God-man. She didn't know the Messiah would be the God-man because she states it in Hebrew. And the rabbis had a very tough time with that. They, they, so what they did is the rabbis included, um, acquired a man from the Lord. And it doesn't say that. It's, it's actually God slash Yahweh. Wow. So the indication that they're saved is in the sacrifice and then in the declaration that she's, she's believing in that the Messiah. She's wrong about Cain. She has the wrong application. But it tells you that Adam and Eve knew what God was promising, that a Messiah would come and rectify all the situation. Now, the animal blood, as you know, would just cover Adam and Eve's sins until the future uh, Messiah would take away their sins, right? So that's what they were trusting in. That's how we know we're, they were saved um, is is right there in the text. So, good question.
What do I got? Go ahead. I have another online question from Donald. The question is, is there any relationship between Satan's lie to Adam and Eve with modern transhumanism and its false promise of grant immortality to morals to mortals? Absolutely. <clears throat> you see it in the cults now, but you see it in technology now. So Yuval Harari, as you guys have known, is pretty wicked and evil, and he's the brainchild for most of the World Economic Forum and the globalists. What they're doing with technology is they're talking about having eternal life. Now, Jared Kushner just came out, and he said he's, he's probably going to see us live forever, either in his generation or his son's generation. And this is how they're thinking, guys. They think that they can edit the gene um, so much that it would give life-giving properties and you would never die. Or they can do humans 2.0 with technology and replace all your parts with, with things that are grown in a lab, taking your own stem cells or whatever and growing them in a lab and you know having somewhat of a clone in the lab for you to take the parts from or just do it mechanically through technology or being able to download your brain to things as Elon Musk says. So the whole idea of transhumanism and, and uh, living beyond uh, for eternal life, that's coming straight out of the World Economic Forum. And it's being birthed, as Haral, Haval Harari said, it's being birthed in the Silicon Valley. And like he said, these will be our gods, so to speak, when he said, because we won't, he, he, what he blasphemed, he said, we won't worship a god above the clouds, we'll worship the ones who created the cloud, the, the digital cloud, right? And so he says, that's what the new religions are coming from. Their new religions are coming from Silicon Valley and giving eternal life to humans. Now, that's as blasphemy as you get, but it's no different when Satan said this, you will become like God in the garden. It's no different. And people are, are jumping all on board on this. They're like, yeah, I, I would love to have extra superpowers and, and be like uh, the Avengers and be like Spider-Man or something like that and have the superhuman power. I mean, it's like really going to their head. And uh, the thought of creating these super soldiers and stuff like that through tampering with DNA and all this, it's real deal stuff, man. And I'm telling you, like last week, it's the days of Noah stuff. What were the angels doing? Tampering with DNA. And here we are again, humans tampering with DNA. But let me, uh, let me ask you this. Who's given the humans the idea? It's satanic. It's demonic to think this way. These people, I listen to the interviews of these people, especially the ones that are involved in CRISPR, and they're like, man, this is great. We're, this is awesome. They're excited about it, and this is going to bring a whole new revolutionary thing to humans and what we consider a human, and they're all pumped up about it. And I want to say, you don't even realize how evil you are, do you? They think they're benefiting humanity, but at the same time, they're, they're going to destroy humanity through it. They're like Dr. Frankenstein, and they don't know what they're doing, and they're messing around. So it, it's scary. It's really scary. But that question is apropos. It is Satan's lie in the garden. You can become a god. But even in the cults, spiritually, what do the Mormons say? You can become a god, right? The Mormons say the same thing. You can become a god. It's the same lie. So good question online. Yes. Uh, yes, you'd mentioned Jared Kushner. And yeah. uh, I don't know a lot about him. I know little. I know he's Jewish. And it, about a week ago, I had heard that he caused a lot of problems within the administration or he would uh, 
maybe Trump actually listened to him, but I was just wondering if you could elaborate a little bit about Jared Kushner and some of these, it sounds like he's got some pretty far out ideas. That... Yeah, I, I think the, one of the problems is, is Jared Kushner is a leftist ideologue. I mean, I, I know Trump had him because it's, it's his son-in-law or whatever, but Jared Kushner did the most evilest thing you could possibly do. And what was that? Two-state solution with Israel. And people think, well, that's just a political... No, 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 no. From a biblical standpoint, you start dividing Israel, you're on the satanic level at that point. And the condemnation will come to you because of it. And so Jared Kushner has put himself in the crosshairs of God by doing a two-state solution. And here's the funny thing, he's Jewish. But look, Lapid just came out and said, we, we're, we're for a two-state solution. Well, he's going to get hammered by God. He, because Jew or Gentile, you come against Israel, you divide up their land, boom, you're going hit, to get hit with the Abrahamic covenant. And so I think to that, to that point, John, that's all the proof I need. How you deal with Israel will tell me everything about you. That's it. So he's, I, don't, I don't like the guy, never did. I think he's a snake in the grass. I can't stand the guy. Spiritually speaking. <laughs> I guess I, I, I don't like him personally either, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> he just seems like a, he just, he's, he's a dork. That's why I think I don't like him on a personal level. And he thinks he knows the Middle East. Do you understand? There's no way in the world. He comes from a real estate background. He knows anything about foreign policy in the Middle East. And I'm like, how did this dork get in that position and start telling Israel what to do and he doesn't even know the history of the region? I, I don't get it. That was, that was, I, I think that's Trump's big, one of his biggest mistakes is putting Jared Kushner in charge of that. That was a big mistake. Anyway, I go on. I digress. Where, where are we at? All good? Okay, so let's check this out then. So... He's using the woman's misstatement to create doubt in her. So now there's the connection. You must know the word of God so clearly in understanding because that's what Satan capitalizes on is either you adding or subtracting through ignorance to the word of God. So right there, it tells you. That's where he'll attack you. He doesn't attack her on the other issues of statements of truth. Okay. So this is how he infuses doubt. You... Uh, um, but the fruit of the tree and the, uh, let's say, where am I at? Verse three, but the, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Okay. We deal with that. Verse four. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So here's, here's where the doubt is put in. It's a, it's through a denial. Okay. It's through a denial. And what did Satan just outright deny? He denied the word of God outright. You're not going to die. So you, here's the order. Doubt is instilled by the person's ignorance of the scripture. And then if he can get them to doubt that, then he can do a complete denial of scripture. You see the progression? Doubt, then denial. So how do we rectify this in, the, in us? Well, here's the thing. You have to figure out on a personal level where you struggle with God. Okay? We all struggle. 
I right now am struggling with the justice of God. Because I can tell you what I want. I want lightning bolts now. <laughs> right now. Should be firing up, you know, and I'm like, oh man, let's get this baby rolling. Um, there's some people that need some lightning bolts. Because I'm, I, there's just some evil, evil stuff going on, especially this grooming of children and the whole trans, I mean, hitting the kids. Dude, that is evil. I'm waiting for lightning bolts. And so I'm struggling right now with the justice of God. Now, theologically in my head, I already know the answer, right? It, the justice is going to come in the tribulation. These people are going to get pounded. They're, they're physically die if they don't get saved, and then they're going to hell. Okay, I know that. But as a human being, I still struggle with my emotions of like, hey, man, you guys are getting away with murder here. And a lot of people are paying the price for this. I'll talk about second hour about what's going on in Europe, but a lot of people this winter are going to die in Europe. They're going to freeze to death. That, that irritates me. That bothers me. I want lightning bolts for that. But I'm no, I know I'm not going to get it, so what am I struggling with? I'm struggling right now in the timing of God's justice because I want it now. I don't know the theological answer. I already know the theological answer, but you know what the problem is? It's a lack of faith. That's why I'm struggling. Because it's not that I doubt God's power. I just don't understand the timing. Why are you delaying this for them? They need to be just destroyed right now, right? And so, that's, so you have to figure that out for yourself. What are you struggling with God about? And you have to be honest with yourself and realize, okay, where is that coming from? Well, for me, it's coming from I don't want to wait on the justice of God. I'm impatient with it. And I already know this, but I'm still struggling. What do I doubt then? I don't trust God for his timing is really what I'm saying. That's, that's what, where it comes down to, right? It's, it's that, that is what I don't, I'm struggling with. I'm, trust, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time with the timing of it. I know he's going to do it, but why, why wait? You know? And I know why. I already know the answer. He's not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. And so, in essence, what I'm dealing with is I'm dealing with a Jonah attitude right now. Right? That's, that's what the attitude is. Like, why are you even saving Nineveh? Destroy them. Right? Right? That's me. I can tell you that's where I'm at right now. I'm pretty ticked about what I see going on in this world. But at the same time, you know, I got to back myself off. I have to bring in the truth and, and adjust my attitude about it and get me back online. I have to do this like a, on a daily basis right now. Um, because if Satan will capitalizes on my doubt, then what could he force me, or not force me, but tempt me to do? Yes, I will become a vigilante. That's the basis of all vigilanteism is they can't wait for justice to happen. And so I was watching a, a cowboy movie the other night and, uh, and, the, and this cowboy movie, I think it was Young Guns 2 or something like that. It was Billy the Kid. 
And they had all these guys in, 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 the, in the prison, or it was an underground prison or whatever, and, you know, the guy warns them, says, hey, man, the lynch mob's coming, and I, I'm not going to do anything when they come. So the lynch mob comes, and there's a whole ruckus about that. But the whole point of the lynch mob couldn't wait for the judge to decide the case, right? They would just come and just hang you. They weren't going to wait. Well, that's vigilantism, but that's a sign that someone's impatient for justice to happen, and they take matters into their own hands. So you, that's where Satan would come in a situation like that with me. Well, then do something, Brandon. Because if you don't trust God to do it, then why don't you do it? Right? That would be what would happen. I'll start taking matters in my own hands. And unfortunately, I know how to back myself off. I know where this is at. But unfortunately, a lot of Christians don't. They don't. And I'm listening to people talk. Christians talk. And I'm pretty scared about what they're saying. Because they're, they're, they're all out for vigilantism at this point. And you've got to be very, very careful about that. You want to go to jail and the FBI come in and raid your house? And I, I hear that from people, and I'm like, dude, you better be careful. Better be careful what you're saying on social media or watching. And, and so therein lies where we have to, 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 to figure out what, what are we struggling with right now. So think about your own personal life. What are you struggling with? Um, because the struggle is coming from doubt. And the doubt will then go into denial. And the denial would be, yeah, he's not going to judge them. Look, look, it's been months. It's been years. Nothing's happened to them. Nothing's, they're not going to jail. Look at that. Look at that. And so it's a flat-out denial of God's justice. At, at, it'll reach that point, and then you cross the line. Right? As an example. Okay, let's continue on. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes, uh, it will, uh, sorry, eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, how are they going to be like God, knowing good and evil? Well, that's a lie. They're not going to be like God. That's number one. But number two, they will be God-like in this. And this is what he doesn't tell them. He tells them that you'll be like God in the fact that they will then determine their own right and wrong at that point. And in essence, you will pretend to be like God because you're making up your own rules, which is exactly what wokeism is today, right? It's the individual makes up their rules and they apply them to based on how they feel and experience life, right? So they, in an essence, become their own God. That's relativism. Uh, they don't believe in absolute morality, absolute truth, right? And so these people just, I make the rules up as I go and how I see fit. That's coming from the garden. Totally. That's what wokeism is, becoming your own God. And you can see why this would spread so rapidly among people. Because they don't have to adhere to a, a, a cult or religion. They don't have to jo join the Jehovah Witnesses or, or you know, the Mormons or whatever. No. You just be a religion unto yourself. Oh, that's deadly, guys. Because the, 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 the area, uh, when you go to the book of Judges, what does it say? They, everyone did right in their own eyes. Not according to the eyes of the Lord, but in their own eyes. That's the culture we have, right? So, so he goes in and he says, okay, so this verse five, God knows that in the day of you, your eyes will be open. Their eyes were open and that's true. That is true. Their eyes were open. But they wouldn't become God and they wouldn't be like him 
and they would experience evil for the very first time because of their own sin. They would experience it. They would have experiential knowledge of what it's like to sin, and that's, that's the knowledge they got. They did get knowledge, but it's not the God knowledge. What was the whole point? The point is that Adam and Eve are supposed to trust all knowledge coming from God and act on that, not act on their own knowledge. He wanted them to trust them instead of experiencing. So here's a practical example. Research has found, you tell a, a, a young kid, 18, 19 years old, whatever, and you're telling them as a father or a grandfather or a mother or a grandmother, and you're saying, hey, man, don't do this because that's going to get you in hot water. And what do they do? They do it. And it's like, why didn't you listen to me? I told you. I, I, you know, you could say, I, I, I was there, and I could tell you what it's like. Here's what they find out. 60% of people have to test it instead of just believe it. That's what they find in the stats. That's not a good stat. That no matter what you say, 60% want to test the waters and see what it's like. For some reason, they think they're not going to be burned by it. It's not going to get them, whatever. And so 60% of the population learns life by not listening to the word of truth, but experiencing life. And the problem is, you know, what, it, what, it, what does it do to you when you want to experience life? It will destroy you. It will destroy your soul. It will destroy your physical body. You know, it does all kinds of stuff. So Satan knows this. So what he promises is what they got. You are going to experience what sin is then. You're not just going to be told what it is. You're going to experience it, and it will kill you because Satan knows that the wages of sin is death. Yes, Paul, or somebody, where am I at? Oh, Mary, okay. Um, well, this is just going back for a minute, but when you're talking about being impatient, I, I just started thinking about Saul, Paul. And how do you know how long how long that took for him to be converted? How long were the Christians being persecuted and killed at his... I'm just it doesn't say how long it was. Mm -hmm. We do know that there, it was, you know, maybe a decade or so. Yeah. Um, and we're not quite sure, but it's, it's in the time frame. Well, let's, let's see. The 30s, maybe 40s. So maybe over a decade that was happening. I'll have to go check my my, my I, I think of you know when we think of bad people. Yep. You know God died. God died for them too. That's right. And so, um, but I'm impatient too. Yeah. Okay. So so the, so that's the temptation, right? Is to get a Jonah attitude, right? That why is the story of Jonah in there? Because it's to teach you and I that you're the same person. Because at some point, you get tired of the sin. You get tired of the evil. I get it. You get it, right? You get tired of seeing this stuff. And eventually, you lose patience with humans. I can tell you I'm there. I've lost patience with Joe Biden. Okay? I'm just going to be squared up with you. I've lost patience with the EU. I've lost patience with Putin and all these other goofballs out there that are destroying the world. I've lost patience. So I do have, an, uh, I, I confess to you, I have a Jonah attitude about a lot of them. Um, but God doesn't. You see what I'm saying? They're made in his image. He created them, and they're his. And, and 
in, in, as far as creation is concerned, not his as children yet. Um, so the idea is I have, to, I have to balance myself out with, yes, these people deserve death, and I deserve death too um, before I got saved, right? I was, uh, the, the, the judgment was hanging above me, as Paul says. And so um, I guess what, what starts happening to Christians is they forget what it's like to be a fish, That's my problem. Now, I was even saved late in life, and I still sometimes forget what it was like to be a fish. And I can tell you, if he would have pounded me before I got saved, then I was straight, going straight to hell. So I'm, I'm glad he gave me grace, and I think that's where Paul, Peter's coming in and saying, look, Brandon, you're not thinking straight. You're thinking it from your vantage point. You're not thinking it from an internal vantage point from God. And he's not willing that any should perish. perish. And so he doesn't want these people to die. And, um, and that's where you have to balance yourself out and realizing, okay, I'm off track here. I am, I'm seeing things through the lens of my own eyes. And it, is it right to have a righteous indignation? Yes, you should be angry. But what does the scripture say? Be angry and do not sin, right? So you can be angry, but don't go out and sin about it, using that anger. So yeah, it's back to you, Mary. It's, it's a Jonah attitude. And, and that's the temptation in these last days that Satan is trying to do to the remnant is make them so fired up that they'll start losing control of themselves and not understanding what's really at stake. So, yeah, good point. Good point, Mary. Yeah, Pastor, uh, it says for God knows. My question is Satan is attacking God's who God is. Yeah. It says for God knows that in that day. My question is did were they the first of a long string of tests for Satan to see how he could tempt humans and that God had a plan through Jesus, but he didn't see that in the future. Satan didn't? He didn't know Jesus was going to be sinless. He even tried. That mic keeps going off for some reason. Um, the, the, at what point did he know about the Messiah? It, it actually... The way the scriptures are, are, are given in what we call progressive revelation. So you got a hint at Genesis 3.15. That's what we call the, the, first, the first pronouncement of the good news. Okay, is uh, Genesis 3.15. And this is what you interesting, this is very interesting. As biblical history goes through, God starts adding more and more progressively to the revelation about the anointed one, right? And, and what, what, what information Moses had is far surpassed by what Isaiah knew, right? Or, or Malachi. They knew more than Moses as far as the content of the Messiah. So Paul, back to this question, why did God do it that way? Why didn't he dump all the information to Moses when he wrote Genesis and say, the coming one, oh, and let's do a, side, a sidebar here, Genesis 3.15, let me explain that he will be the God-man, he will be from the tribe of Judah, he will be of David, he will come in this such in time. Why didn't he do that? Why didn't God, at the first page of the Bible, say, this is who Jesus is? Because Paul's, ask, Paul's asking a very good question. Yes. The way the revelation is about the Messiah 
implies enemy interception. Because Satan can read too. So the way it's strategically placed, it is shadowy, it is foggy, and it is placed all over the place in anticipation of enemy interception. Now, what do I mean by that in another sense? Okay, if Moses put everything, if God put everything in Moses' book, Genesis, guarantee you what would happen to Genesis by Satan. He would remove it. He would eventually destroy the book of Genesis. But the problem is, the content of the Messiah is spread out in 39 books, right? And it's spread out to prevent him taking out one book because if you just take out one book that's okay because you got 300 and something other prophecies that will they'll give you the schematic of who messiah is so it is a a a a beautiful but strategic thing that god did by placing it here placing it here placing it here so it confuses satan and 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 by that time that satan figures things out he's playing catch-up Right now, he'll play catch up a lot of times, but he won't. He can't, for some reason, how God orchestrated it, it, it keeps him from figuring things out. Now, that's why he doesn't say, Will he be from the line of David? Because he would just kill the whole line of David when it started, right? Or tribe of Judah, he will destroy the whole tribe of Judah, or it's the Jews, he'll destroy all the Jews, which he eventually tried to figure out how to do it, but that was after the fact. The fact is he can't prevent things from happening because he cannot figure fully out what's happening here because it's intentional. And so the only way you're going to know is if the Holy Spirit actually helps the individual connect dots. So here's the thing. A lot of the book of Revelation, yes, Satan can read, but a lot of it he may not understand it fully because he doesn't have the truth-bearing witness of the third person of the Trinity that tells you and I how it's gonna go down. So there's, there's, there's a level uh, there that God keeps them at bay. So to your point, Paul, that's why it's spread out. It's to prevent enemy interception. So, okay, we all good. Okay, let me see if what I got here after this. Um, that's the last one, yeah, okay. So, okay, here. Good and evil. So the problem is, after this, they commit the sin. She goes for it, and she eats of it, and three sins are committed instantaneously, like I, I told you. Sin, uh, pride of life, lust of the, of the flesh, lust of the eyes are what precipitates this. So through all this dialogue of doubt, it creates a desire for it, more of a desire. Okay. So again, it goes back to what we're understanding. Doubt is created from us not knowing the scripture. Out of doubt comes the temptation to take something that, that we think will benefit us. See, that's the cunning nature of, of how Satan take, uh, uh, temptation, uh, gives us temptation, is we think that this will be good for us. No one ever really thinks that, man, I cannot wait to be snidely whiplash and get my hands on doing some evil deed. 
They're saying, no, this will be beneficial for me. And that's what Eve's thought was and Adam's thought was. It'll benefit us if we do this. We won't have to depend on God. And they did it in that sense. And so therefore, then they fall. Now, at, at the end of this, um, the pattern you see here in Genesis is the same pattern he does with us. So this is what you have to look for. Doubt and then denial. Doubt and denial. If he can get you to deny scripture, you'll do it. You'll do it every time. So it's a process. You have to be able to stop the process in the, the, the element. Um, okay, so let me give you something to think about. When he's denying, scriptures don't say that. The only way he can get that across is if, if you don't know the scriptures or you don't trust them. Okay? So it comes down to ignorance or trust. Now, some people know the scriptures, but they don't trust the scriptures. And, and, and therein lies the problem. They trust God, but they don't trust the scriptures. And what does the Great Commission say? Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. It's not just simply to trust Jesus for salvation, but all things that he has said, right? You have to trust all of the whole enchilada, not just parts of it. So what happens is people don't trust the words of Christ. Can you think of some examples? And they're Christians, and they don't trust the word of Christ. You have any examples that might come to your, your mind? Yeah, that would be a good one. How is any good going to come out of this? You know, and that's what a lot of people say. I don't see any good coming out of it. Well, Romans 8.28 will contradict what you're, you're feeling. And it says all things work together for the good. And so therein lies, do you trust that statement? Or are you going to trust your feelings? You see what I'm saying? So it's not a, trust, a distrust of I don't believe in God anymore. It's I don't believe his word. I don't believe that this is really what's happening here. And so here's the thing. You start doubting reality. And I'm telling you guys, when you start doubting reality, you will go crazy. Because you will be susceptible to deception, and the enemy will take full reign in that. Okay? So what is he going to doubt? He's going to cause you to doubt that what you're going through cannot be overcome. God is not going to deliver you. He's abandoned you, and he's left you in the wind. So guess what? What would you do if you really believe that God is not going to help you through something? Well, I better do it on my own. And I better take matters in my own hands, and I better start doing this. And so you stop listening to God's direction and lead, and you just start taking matters in your own hands. That would be an example. Or, uh, or, or something else, I don't know. Um, God will supply all your needs. Do you really believe that? Because if you don't, what would you do? Okay. You're going to provide your own needs. You won't trust. You become a hoarder. Well, Brandon, it's like those that don't believe all of the Bible, like in time prophecy. Yeah. Which we're part of the cult. And, you know, it's funny. I was talking about that on the radio today uh, with Jan Markell. We did an interview, and 
this is interesting what you just said, because an article came out um, by Lifeway that said that nine out of 10 pastors that they surveyed believe we're living in the last days. But here's the ironic thing. They won't talk about it. That's weird. And because I backed it, I told Jan, we were on the, the air, and I said, and the funny thing is, Lifeway did another research, and 98% of the pulpits don't talk about it. But yet, nine out of 10 pastors say we're living in the end times. What's happening here? Do you really believe it? They might say that on a survey. Do they really believe it? Because if you believed it, and you believe you're in the end times, wouldn't you give the clarion call? Would you do? Yeah, maybe they're scared. Money. You're right. Seminary, they're ignorant, some of them. They don't know how to teach it. Uh, uh, nickels and noses. They're afraid they're going to offend people. That's right. And, and so, here's, listen to this, guys. This is, this is blowing me away, what you just said, Karen. They won't teach a third of the Bible and they believe we're in the last days. That is so reprehensible. Okay? And especially if you know, that makes it worse. Okay? It's one thing if you commit a sin of ignorance. Well, I just don't know. Well, if you don't know, you shouldn't be behind a pulpit, number one. So go sell insurance, please. Do us all a favor. But number two, if you know it, and you refuse to teach it? Dude, your condemnation at the Bema seat? You're going to lose all kinds of rewards for that, dude. But you're right. Nickels and noses is part of the game. Because the minute you start going prophecy, you have to bring in current events. And what does that do? It thins out the crowd. It scares people. Okay, why would prophecy that is meant for us scare any Christian? Why would, why would it scare them? Because to me, it's like, oh, that's cool. God's going to do this, and he's going to reign and rule, and this is how he's going to do it, and Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David. I think that's phenomenal. It gives me a lot of hope. Why would, why, why would, they, why would it make anyone afraid? You have to take stands? Fear? What's the fear from? Yeah, okay. So you got this fear thing going on. So if, look, look, if you're immature in your walk with the Lord and I am giving you um, steak and you're only on milk, okay, as the, as the word is defined, that Paul says, you know, you're ready to eat as a, as, a, as a grown-up now, you can eat a steak. But if he says, I have to keep giving you milk, then what does that tell you about their walk with the Lord? If prophecy scares them, they are not where they need to be spiritually. Because prophecy is not to scare you. It prepares you for what's coming. But if it scares you, you're not where you need to be spiritually. Because it's your blessed hope. How did that turn into the blasted hope? Right? How did that turn into that? Because of the shallowness of the churches. You go to most churches, and I'm telling you, man, they're teaching at a second and third grade level, and the congregation doesn't even know it. And that's intentional, by the way, because they're following Rick Warren and the, and the seeker-friendly movement, church growth movement, okay? So if you're going to be teaching at the second and third grade level, 
And so you're going to have someone come in and introduce college Bible uh, study. They can't handle it. It's like a baby trying to eat a piece of steak. He can't, right? And that's what happens. So it scares them. And so these, these congregations that these pastors have built can't eat it. So he can't serve it up because it makes everyone afraid. So we have a major problem, don't we? So we got people doing it out of ignorance. We got people doing it for money, we are not, are, are not doing it because of money. We have people in the pulpits that are completely ignorant because here's the thing. The seminary grads coming out of seminary right now, many of them, not all of them, have not been trained in eschatology. Well, what do you mean? Well, in the old days, you had to study everything. Everything. You had to study eschatology. Now they go to seminary, and I've asked kids that come out of seminary, well, tell me about your eschatology class. Well, I didn't take any. Well, what did you study? Well, we just studied, you know, how to big, grow a bigger church. Oh. Oh, okay. That's great. That's great for the church that has the pastor as the CEO, but not the theologian. And, and so you see the problem, guys. We have a major problem on our hands. And so what's happening? Deception. Deception's happening in the church because people can't discern what's going on out here. They can't connect dots. In, it's impossible. And for many of those who see it, they're so afraid, they just say, I just want to live my little life and not think about it. That actually harms the, 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 the work of God when they say, I don't want to do anything about it. I want to stay in my little, my little hole here that I've dug and stick my head in the sand. You're not helping the cause. You become useless at that point. And so we've we, we got a lot of Christians going AWOL on us because of fear. Hey, man, I'm not going to beat around the bush. It's going to get rough. If we don't get raptured anytime soon, you're going to see horrible things, especially this winter in Europe. Horrible. You're going to see people die in Europe. You're going to see people see, uh, starving. It's happening. And there's no return for this, man. They have crossed so many lines now, you don't come back. And, and, and people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that their life has changed, that you're not going back. So they'd rather stay ignorant. But if you stay ignorant, you're susceptible for temptation because you will doubt the word of God. And what is the biggest doubt in the last days? Do you know? It's in the scripture. It's his return scoffers will come in the last day where is this return all things go on as the fathers uh, since the days of the fathers nothing's changed he's not coming back that's actually predicted that they would say it, and they're doing it now let's get a mic to, oh wait, wait let's get that and then we'll go here then we gotta so um it's interesting because I don't know if you saw uh, CNN came out with a yes, I did. rapture anxiety. Rapture is causing anxiety for people. Yeah, I, I find yeah. it. In, I just found that interesting that we're talking about this stuff, and of course, Satan would love to cause people to, you know, I guess discount that. And yeah, it's an attack on the rapture. And here's the funny thing: is yeah, uh, if you haven't seen the article, CNN had the article, and this, this, I don't know what to call her. But she um, was once a Christian, raised in a home, and she was beat over the head with the rapture, and they would play jokes on her, and she, I, you know, were 
everyone be gone, and she thought everyone's raptured, and there'd be clothes laying out, and, and so she suffered, you know, PTSD because of that, or whatever, apparently, because they played such cruel rapture jokes on her. And now this gal, I don't know, she's not even a Christian or whatever, and she says, you know, I suffer with uh, anxiety from the rapture. It's ridiculous, I know, because the rapture is the blessed hope. It's not supposed to cause anxiety. It's supposed to make you feel awesome, okay? He's coming. But, so what they're doing is attacking the rapture right now in secular society because something's cooking. Something's cooking, and they know. And so they're attacking the rapture, saying, oh, we can't be, these Christians can't be saying those kinds of things because it's causing anxiety. It's causing violence to other people. It's, it's ridiculous. But you're right, Michael. It, what it was, it's actually a full frontal attack on the rapture. And I wonder why they would attack that doctrine in these days. You know, it's to discredit us, right? Okay, where am I at? Okay, um, most of the teachings of the false prophets and a lot of the believers are going cold in the love for the truth anymore. And all this famine, everything, everything's falling in place. And the, what's the biggest thing is, is it either the fear or they're fearing uh, his return? Yeah, I mean, society's being divided. There's no doubt about that. And it's all being done through fear. Um, and they're dividing us through fear. And here's the thing. If they knew the truth, the truth would set them free and they wouldn't have to be afraid. And that's the key is Satan is keeping the truth from people and that creates a paranoia. That's what's happening out in the world. They're paranoid. And that's why they're, they're this is what's causing them to trust the government as if it's a god. That's what's happening. Okay? Because they don't have the truth. And so, oh, Joe Biden will take care of me. I know he will. And so will Kamala. They'll take care of me. Hey, they're, they told me they're going to pay my college uh, debt. Right? Those kinds of things. Oh, man, it's great. I don't need to worry about food. They'll take care of it. And I don't need to worry about energy because Gavin Newsom's going to take care of me, man. That's the mentality that they've created because they don't love the truth. Right? Okay. Where am I at? Okay, go right here. As godly people, wouldn't we see this uh, mindset that they have in regards to anxious, I mean, not anxious, but anxiety as um, conviction? I mean, to me, if they're seeing it in that way, it's massive. It just screams conviction to me. You're right. That's exactly what happened. The return of the Lord slices both ways. For those who love him, come on down and get us. I'm ready. I got my bags packed. For, for those, that's the, the term in Scripture, those who love is appearing. But this world hates his appearing because it means judgment. And that's why. So you're right. It's dividing the world right now. Yes. Yeah, Pastor, even though God says, if you believe in me, you will have eternal life, what about all these people that think they've lost their salvation and don't believe they've yeah. They're just constantly, I don't know if I'm saved, I question my salvation. And there, there is a doubt that uh, Satan is using on people. And, and here, it comes down to this, Paul. You, you, you're, you're right on target on this when people doubt their salvation. When Jesus says, believe in me and I will give you everlasting life. 
embedded in that statement is eternal security. Because did you hear it? If you believe in me, eternal life, well, what does eternal life imply? That once you have it, you never lose it because it's eternal. You can't have something that's eternal be taken away from you or lose it or get out of it. It's, he's promising not only just salvation, that your sins will be forgiven, but I will guarantee you eternal life. So what does Satan do? It's very slick how he does this. He makes the believer look at their works instead of looking at Messiah's promise. Did you catch it? It's a big deal. Who are you going to trust? How you live or Christ? When Christ says, you believe in me, I'll give you eternal life. So the doubt then comes that you, the person has been shifted over to their works, which is causing the doubt of, I don't even think I'm saved. Instead of saying, no, Christ said I was saved, and that's what I'm holding on to. You do not look to your works to prove that you're saved. You look at Messiah's promise. You've got the focus wrong. And that's what's happening, Paul, to all these people. And I can tell you where it originates from. Calvinism and Arminianism, right there. That's where the doubts are infused in people. So look, man, there's times when you look at, I look at my own life and I say, and I'm like, oh my gosh. What am I, uh, crazy? I'm a devil, right? I'm, 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 I'm of the Antichrist, right? By the way, I'm using biblical terms because it says that people that, that you know, sometimes get into their, their walk, they, they act like the devil. Okay, but if I were to judge that, right? I would say, okay, I'm not even saved. I can't be saved because I'm doing all this. But that would be a wrong judgment. That would be me me trusting in works. (laughs) Trusting in my works. And there we are again. We're back at square one. I'm trusting in my works. Not on promises. Oh. So again, that comes to immaturity. Because a believer who's maturing understands none of this is based on your works. It is based on faith alone. And that's a level of maturity you have to reach. And when you get to that level where, yeah, I'm, I'm trusting in what he said, not what I do, then you're unshakable. You're absolutely unshakable. You will never doubt your salvation. You will never have Satan tempt you to do that. You will know what you believe. And here's the thing. Brandon, how do I know if I'm saved? How do you know, if, an online audience, how do you know if you're saved? I'll ask you a simple question. Are you convinced of who Messiah is and what he offers to you in salvation? Are you convinced by that? Okay, you're saved. That's it. That's faith. Faith is being fully convinced of what Messiah says. If he says he's God and he gives the evidence for it and he gives the evidence that he can give you eternal life, what is the evidence that he can give eternal life? Do you know? Yes, it's the death, burial, and resurrection. We call that the gospel. But the death, burial, and resurrection is the evidence he provides to you in order to trust his words about giving eternal life. And that's the evidence. That's why he can give eternal life. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection. So if you, do you believe the evidence that he can give eternal life? Yes, then I'm saved. 
That's it. That's it. And when you look at that, that, that means only a, even a five-year-old could understand that. All you have to ask yourself, are you convinced? Are you convinced? Yes. Okay. That's it. And that ends it. That ends the whole thing. Right? Okay. Any other question before we got to take a break? Oh, good. Let's take a break. Five minutes. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.